Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to run through the remainder of that. An amazing passage for us. Uh, I want to remind you of a couple of things as you turn in the Bible to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to remind you that the primary recipient of this letter from the author are those Christians who likely at some point were being pressured to give up their faith in Jesus Christ. They were being asked to give up. Like, will you just stop, please? Have you ever felt like giving up at something? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever felt like giving up at something. I have. I remember sports, right? I was a little guy, and, but yet I lived in the South, so I felt like I had to play, and so I felt like giving up sometimes. I remember being a freshman, and this other guy was a junior, and I took his spot on one of the, um, in a position in football only because of my speed, and from that moment, every day at school was miserable. He and all of his friends, and I just wanted to quit, Right? But I knew because of my speed, I could hit him and run, and he couldn't catch me. And so I just kept working. I kept going. I wanted to give up. There's been jobs I've wanted to quit before. I remember my, one of my first jobs, I was 16. I would show up every morning at 6 a.m. in a place, and for three months I painted. And they would stick me in the closets and in bath, small bathrooms, not full bathrooms, half bathrooms. Close the door and just like, they just like, breathe the best you can. I'm like, okay. I'd walk out ready to preach the gospel. Um, and just all the fumes and everything, it was crazy. And I said, I wanted to quit. Another thing, sometimes I wanted to quit ministry. Numerous times I wanted to quit ministry. Um, amen. amen. <laughs> yes. I don't even know how to interpret that sign from God. <laughs> Um, whoa, whoa, based on your interpretation, that, that could be, okay, um, like, I just, I've wanted to quit ministry, especially when you start a ministry, and they know that they want to turn the ship some, and so I, I try to help turn the ship toward the gospel, and you get letters from people who never sign their name about how horrible of a person you are, and they're in my mailbox at home, my mailbox at work, on my desk, I've had them on my windshield, I've had them in my car, I've had them all over the place, and you just want to quit. Have you ever want to quit something before? Let me tell you now, my friends, my faith holds me to that which God has called me. Not anybody's preference or opinion. It is my faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And so we don't quit. And we hold fast, even when we live in a world in which the, the culture, the politics, and it's not as many people as you think, it's just very few people control everything that we're hearing today. And as much as they may say belief in God is bad or faith is bad, their opinion or preference doesn't determine who we are. It's our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And so we do not stop. And we do not cease. It's amazing to think about. And so here's, these are the types of people there. And you think that everything I said is hard. Trust me, those things are not hard compared to that which these people were encountering on a regular basis. 
And so the author is reminding them, guys, it's okay. I know they keep going and telling you to go back to Moses. And Moses was awesome, right? He was a cool guy. He was a cool dude. And he was a, it even refers to him early in Hebrews chapter 3 as being a great servant. Moses was a great servant in the house of God. But Jesus is like the architect. He is the builder of the house. He is the one we rely on. He is the one we have true faith in. He is the one we want to emulate. He is the one that we want to follow after after no matter what Moses was good was good but Jesus is greater and he is worth placing your life before so he's writing to these people and then we get to the remainder of Hebrews chapter 3 and you need to be reminded of this because it reminds us uh, even in verse 6 of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ it's reminding us Christ is faithful guys he's faithful 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 so today I'm, I'm jumping into the New Living Translation, a little different from the ESV, but I think it's going to appropriately help us walk through this journey. So right now I want to read through the remainder of Hebrews chapter 3. And so if you would do so by honoring God, let's stand together for the reading of the word. Verse 7 and following. That is why the Holy Spirit says... So again, verse 6, it says, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ, we're good to go, guys. If we remember who Jesus really is, we're good to go, guys. That's why the Holy Spirit says, today you must listen to his voice. Today you must listen to the voice of God. Do not harden your hearts against him. As Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested God's patience in the wilderness, there your ancestors they tried my patience even though they saw my miracles for 40 years they witnessed my power I was angry with them and I said to them their hearts always turn away from me they refuse to do what I tell them so in my anger I made a vow they will never enter my place of rest be careful then dear brothers and sisters Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Turning you away from the living God, you must warn each other every day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ but never forget the warning. Today, you must listen to his voice. Today, you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him as Israel did when they rebelled. And who were those people who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Weren't they the ones Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he vowed that they would never enter his place of rest? He was speaking to those who disobeyed him. So we see that they were not allowed to enter his rest. They were not allowed to enter his rest because of unbelief. This is the word of God. You may be seated. This passage begins um, 
it's, it's actually part of a quotation. Verse 7 through 11, um, we jumped into it a little bit last week, but it's a quotation from the Psalms. So here it's jumping in to Psalm 95, and it's helping us to understand all that is here before us. And he's calling it out. It's why the Holy Spirit says, and he's like, hey, this is why it was said before. We already know what it said before. Today, you better, you, friends, you better listen to his voice. What's God telling you today? And he talks about that as well. Not tomorrow, not the next day. What's God telling you today? Don't harden your heart. That's what Israel did, right? Earlier in the year, we walked through the book of Exodus and they kept hardening the hearts. Even when they saw the miracles, they saw the sea split. They saw the, the, the ten different plagues and how God delivered them over and over again. And yet they always wanted more. That's our posture because we live in a society and a world because of sin. We were born, right? The fall. And because of that, we always want more no matter what. No matter what, we just want, give me more, God. Come on, give me some more. I know, man, God, you have blessed us. What happens one day? God, you've blessed me. I have an amazing wife, amazing kids. I have an amazing church that I get to serve under and with and before. And God, thank you so much. And the next day, I'm like, God, if, could you help me out? And we just always want more. And that's so often our spiritual posture. And so here is a passage that is pointing out to us that not only Israel and the ancestors get it wrong and not only do they miss God's blessings but I think that sometimes we ourselves have our hearts that are being hardened and we don't even recognize it and so this is what I want to do for us today I'm going to walk through this passage and I'm going to help us understand this is my warning light all right so if you don't whenever I turn it on if you don't like bright flashing lights I encourage you to look away for a moment um, I'm not going to keep it on long don't worry um, but I, I think that this passage is an opportunity for us to learn from those who have gone before us and to learn what the warning signs in our life are because if we would start paying attention to the warning signs that God is like hey don't let your hearts be hard and make sure that you listen to my voice make sure you're doing everything that I want you to do I think if we could start acknowledging and understanding what some of those warning signs are in a better way, we, we would really see the dividends in terms of our spiritual understanding of who God is, what he desires for our life. Here, here's the other thing that we have to know is sometimes, I, was, I literally processed this, I was like, why does there have to be warnings? Guys, God gives us fences. I've preached this ser series on this years ago here in this church, over there in a different building, and it was called Fences. God gives us fences for a reason. Because if we're left up to our own devices, we will, it will lead us to destruction. If left up to our own devices, we will lead ourselves to destruction. And so let's, let's learn what the Word of God has for us. So I've got some different warnings here. Very first one. So first warning. All right. That's the first one that we have, and I just want us to process this because as we think about the different warnings in our life, I want you, this is my challenge for you. I don't know how to turn it off. There we go. Okay. I was holding it. They said, hold it for three seconds. I held it for three seconds, and it changed how it flashed. Um, so here's what I want is I want you to walk through this week challenging your family members, your friends, whoever you're encountering, and go, oh, this was a warning light that I encountered 
a warning light right now. It's flashing. So here's the first thing he says. Here's the first warning light is don't harden your heart. So I started looking up the word harden and what's that really mean? It means, it means don't let your heart dry up. So when it says don't let your heart be hardened, don't let your heart become dry. So if you're not spending, friends, if you're not spending time in the word of God and in prayer, your heart will grow dry. It'll become hard. And so then when all of a sudden crisis happens, those are the people who instead of relying upon God to walk them through the hardship and through the crisis, they turn their back on God and they blame God, even though God gives us free will, even though we might have been the cause of everything that happened in our life, we end up blaming God because our hearts are hard. They're dried. They're dry. It's no, it's no different, right? Right? Wet piece of clay, you drop it, hits the ground, thump, you can pick it up, mold it again. I've done this before, right? But a hard piece of clay that's hard and, and it's, it's set in the same position, it's, it's set in the oven and it's dry, you drop it and it shatters into a thousand pieces. And that's what happens with us. And so he calls out very clearly, guys, Christ, verse 6, he's faithful. And if we, if we want to remain encouraged and remain confident in our hope, you better listen to my voice, warning, don't let your heart become dry. I'll also tell you this, there are too many people, this is one of the things I despise about what we've done in the Western culture, is I think that we have allowed Sunday morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your one time to make sure your heart doesn't become dry. Guys, if this is your only time on a Sunday morning to show up and to hear the word of God and to, he- and to think that this is what's going to get you through the next six and a half days, seven days before you get back into this place, you have a wrong understanding. We are to live being filled by the Holy Spirit every single moment. This should encourage you and challenge you, right? That's my, my understanding of preaching is sharpen and encourage. I think listening to the word of God and finding hope in him is encouraging. I think we also need to be mature leaders, invite what? Accountability. And so we want to be sharp and we want to grow. But guys, it's got to be more than just Sunday morning. And so the first warning sign here is don't harden your heart. What hardens your heart? Sin hardens your heart, by the way. Time away from God hardens your heart. Desiring our our will more than his will hardens your heart, and it leads to disappointment. There's bitterness. And I hope we understand that a hardened heart typically happens over time. Well, I, I just don't think I'm, I'm, I just don't think I'm going to pray. I haven't prayed in the last few weeks unless I just need something. Or I'm just not going to spend time in, I haven't spent time in the Word. Those are just signs of what's to come, friends. It, it happens over time. Well, I'm not going to worry about church anymore. All right? Because we always have things that take precedence. Another thing that we learn in this passage, I, I love that it says, it says, like, don't harden your hearts against him, verse 8, as Israel did. And it taught, it taught us very clearly about we need to make it, we need to, we need to change today. Later in the passage, a couple of different times it speaks. I just want to go ahead and jump into this because I don't want to miss it. It says today. Um, I, I love that God wants to be in a relationship with us right now. 
Like imagine if somebody says, hey, I'd love to have you over for dinner. And you go, hey, how about next summer? That's not good. But if you go, hey, we need, to, we need to have dinner together. We need to spend some time together. How about, how about right now? Right? And so that's the posture that we need to be having with God because otherwise if we don't do it right now, often our hearts end up being hardened. Another warning that we have and it's flashing and this is something we must hear is don't, do not test God. Verse 9, there your ancestors tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. They tested my patience. They tested them. A little bit more, please. A little bit more. Can, can, can I have a little bit more, please? Don't test God. This phrase means they didn't trust God dur- during the, the wanderings in the wilderness. They're trying God out. They're pushing on him. Maybe if you're a parent, you've ever had a kid just test your patience. Anybody here want to raise their hand right now? I'm giving you freedom. Anybody had a kid test your patience? Right? And they just want a little bit more. Always want more. And in some ways, I think that the children of God, and at some point, they were annoying God. Yeah, I said it. And I think it angered him. In, in verse 10, it tells us, so in my anger, I says, I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They, perf- they refuse to do what I tell them. It's that we're just like children. And so the parent gets upset because the child is always refusing to do what the parent asked him to do. And so in his anger, many times God's just like, I'm going to be done with them. It's not worth it. But he never gives up. Don't test God. Don't let your heart go astray. It's not one of the warnings I'm going to put here, but it says the hearts always turn away from me. Is your heart turning away from God? Is it hardening? Friends, I don't think it's weakness to acknowledge that your heart's turning away from God. I think it's weakness not to acknowledge it because you want to be able to step back into a relationship with him. I think it's arrogance and pride not to let other people know so that they can pray for you and pray with you and help you. So these are warnings for the believers. Like, listen, don't don't become like the Israelites. Don't do it. I think another, as we walk through this passage, 11 and 12, so in my anger I made a vow they will never rest, they will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Yes, it's letting you know that your heart may be evil and unbelieving. Turning you away from the living God. Here's the warning. Be willing to learn from others. Like that's what, there's the warning, it's a flashing light. There are too many of us who think that we're always the exception to the rule. Right? Hey, I know that 98% of people do this if they stop going to church, right? But I'm the exception to the rule. And it's not just with going to church, it's with all types of things. We think we're the exception to the rule. You know what that's a, you know what that's a result of? It's this thing called pride. 
the people in the wilderness, the, the people of God, they were prideful. So they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't do what God wanted. They wouldn't obey and, and take heed. And we need to listen and pay attention to the warnings in our life. We need to learn from other people. And so the warning signs, it says, listen, be careful then, verse 12. Ma- Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts, this is the warning, uh, 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 right? It's that kind of thing. And he says, make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Learn from the people who have gone before. Can, let's, let's think about this, right? Let's learn from the, the church that has gone before us. I'm going to speak very stereotypically here. So recognize that. The church that has gone before in America... Let's make it about as much, like, we're not, a, if you haven't been able to tell, we're going to preach the hard truth no matter what. We, we try really hard not to be seen as gimmicky or anything. We just want the gospel to be made known. We're going to challenge people as best we can. But over the last, let's just take the last half century. Here's what the church has become. Make Sunday as good as you can, because if it's not good enough, they're going to go somewhere else. And then we'll come up with enough fun events that maybe if we can keep the kids involved enough, the parents will keep coming. Because we know that in an average church in America, roughly 15 to 20% of the people who show up on a Sunday morning actually read the Word of God on a regular basis. Which means there's no real relationship with you and with God. There's only, hey, I'll channel all of it through somebody else. Listen to them. Be motivated, encouraged, hopefully a little bit, sharpened a little bit. I'll feel better about myself, but I'm always the exception to the rule. We're not exceptions to the rule, but we can be children of God. And we got to get it. But that takes so much humility I remember having conversations with my family before. So you got to remember my father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor as well. And I would be like, man, we just got to do church different. I've always been like this, my poor parents. We, did, <laughs> we just got to do it different. And they would take, at first they took offense. They're like, what's wrong with the way we've been doing it? I'm just going, can we just learn? I'm not saying we weren't doing it as better than we did it before. Can we just, can we have the humility to learn? And so we need to learn from others. Here's verse 13. Here's another warning. Don't be deceived by your sin. That's what it says. You must warn each other every day. So that means you're helping each other. We'll get into that in a second. As long as it is called today, not tomorrow or the next day, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Friends, can we acknowledge that we are deceived by sin? This is how sin works. So Satan is called the great what? Deceiver. So if Satan's called the great deceiver, this is, it talks about sin, so we're not deceived by sin. It's just that one small step I always speak about. So here's what ends up happening. 
So you end up, maybe you own a company, you end up hiring somebody, you get a good hire, it's super, and then all of a sudden you end up going, hey, listen, but they're the opposite sex. Hey, we need to run to Chicago, but I, I, don't, I don't ride in a vehicle with the opposite sex unless somebody is with me. But then all of a sudden, what happens is people start harassing you because like, well, this is going to cost the company more money if you do this. This is ridiculous. But then you end up going to Chicago and, and you go to the meetings, it goes well, next time it's fine. So then next time you're like, fine, we'll go ahead and ride together this time. It will save the company four or five hundred dollars that way, and but you each have your own hotel room. But then all of a sudden you have dinner together the next time, and then all of a sudden the next time one of the rooms is still paid for but not occupied, and it keeps going. All of a sudden you end up in a divorce, and all of a sudden you end up with your kids who hate family and blame it all on God and the church because you go to church but you don't recognize that sin is deception. Have I got your attention yet? And if anybody, let's be honest, if, if, if somebody came to you and said, hey, by the way, this is what we're going to do. You're going um, to get your kids to walk through a horrible, ugly divorce, and it's going to be just, they're going to blame God. They're going to be angry. Do you really want to do this? You'd be like, no, I don't want to do that. But that's not the way it begins. At first, it looks good. I'm saving the company money. Right? Nobody wants to be viewed as a stick in the mud. And so now, I mean, that's, that's even damaging my witness. I don't want them to think that Christians are sticks in, a stick in the mud. I, and so now, like, it's damaging my witness. And so I'm going to go ahead. And it just keeps going one thing after another. Right? Guys, there are too many of us who are being deceived by sin. Well, if I can just, I'll take this little bit more. I'll take this little bit more. I'll, be t- I'll just take this little bit more. And in fact, here's what it tells us to do. That's why I said earlier, mature leaders invite what? Class participation. And mature believers invite what? Accountability. Accountability. It says that we're to warn others when that's happening. So are you receptive to others speaking into you about the power, the deception of sin in your life? It says warn others. Right? Uh, uh, uh. When you no longer have, if you don't have people in your life who you know will come and warn you of the sin that is prevalent, of things that could lead to, to greater issues in your life, I feel sorry for you. And we want to be that accountability for you. That's why we tell people get in a small group. I have people like, oh, I need to be better cared for. You're in a small group. Well, no, I don't have time for that. Well, no, you don't really want to be cared for then. We're best cared for in relationship. So we end up being deceived by the sin in our life. Do you even have, here's the challenge for you, do you have the courage to acknowledge, to identify, do you have the humility to identify the ways in which you are currently being deceived? It's a warning sign for us. It continues on, 14 and following. It says, for if we are faithful to the end. Now, a lot of this is going to be a replay. You're going, how is he going to cover all this? Um, a lot of this is a replay of what you just read, okay? So he tells us, he says, uh, the, the author, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God, do you really trust God? So this, that's the difference right there. It talks about faithfulness and trust. So here's what 14 through 19 helped me to navigate and understand. My faith 
is not always determined by what I can understand. And I want to say that again. My faith is not always determined by that which I can understand. Meaning often in today's world, we want to be able to fully understand something before we place our trust and our faith in something. I will tell you now, I have eight years of education. I've been pastoring for 27 years. And what I would tell you is this. There are some things in the Word of God because it's from God. And yes, it's also referred to as a mystery. The mystery of the gospel. I just don't get. I'm like... Oh, man, I, my brain starts to hurt. And I'm like, I, am I just that dumb? Like, I just don't fully get it. But, man, I, I just trust him. And some of us can't grasp that. Guess what? You are not saved by your knowledge. You are saved by your faith in him. So he's telling them, guys, you need to make sure your faith that your trust is in God because I know people are pushing you away from living fully for Jesus Christ, but you got this. Don't let your heart, he says it again, verse 15, don't let your hearts be hardened. Don't harden your hearts. Don't let your heart dry up. says it again. Israel did that very thing. They let their heart become hard, and even though they witnessed the miracles of God, and so friends stopped saying, if, I, if God just did this for my loved one that's sick, if God just did this for my finances, I'm telling you now, because of sin, no matter what God does for you, you will ask for more. So it's not about that. Don't think it's about that. It's not about that. So here's Israel. It's talking, verse 14, 15, about Israel's unbelief, letting us know that they didn't remain faithful to the end. Which blows me away. He freed them from slavery. He applied the blood of the Passover lamb, Exodus chapter 12. Delivered them through the sea. Miracle after miracle, and yet they were people of unbelief. And as a result, it tells us that made God angry. And it says, verse 18 and 19, and to whom God was speaking when he vowed that they would never enter his place of rest. Because of, verse, this is verse 19, because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Because of their unbelief. Because they wouldn't pay attention to the warning signs in their life. They had no rest. Rest, I want to tell you about where rest is found. Rest is not found in watching YouTube all day or making sure you watch football all day. Rest is not found in anything other than having complete trust and faith in God. That's where rest is found. I believe rest is found in being obedient to God. I'm going to get into that more next week. I think the end of chapter 3 introduces this concept of rest. Chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, really starts to unpack it in a fun way. So the people of God, the, the people in the wilderness, they, they weren't living in rest. They refused to believe God's promise to give them rest. And so they were denied entry. Verse 19 why? Because of sin, because of unbelief. They didn't trust. They didn't have faith. 
do you trust God? Do you, do, you have like faith, do you have faith no matter what? Is there something that could happen in your life, in this world, that would keep you from having faith in Jesus? That's a great question for us to ask. Do you really have faith and trust in God? Maybe there's just an area of life in which you just need a better trust because there's warning signs going on. You need to pay attention. What's the one area in your life that you go, man, here's a warning sign. Go to your spouse today. Go to a friend today. Go to a loved one today. Call somebody up if you're watching us online and say, hey, listen. Warning sign in my life. Here's a warning sign in my life. I'm going to... This is just going to be honesty for you. You're about to think a lot less of me. The other day, I pulled out of the church. And uh, this is embarrassing. Um, but I knew that I wasn't experiencing rest the last week. I've just been sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. The last week, I just haven't been, because I pulled out of the church, and this person comes up on my tail end, and they're flashing their lights. I know I did not cut them off. I know, I'm I'm so cautious because my car says he is greater than I. And then when I pull out a chapel point, right, I'm like, I do not need that. And I'm like, they keep flashing. And then they even honked at me at one point. And I was was, was getting hot. I was getting hot. And so finally, they're pulling to the left. So I slow down a little bit, put my window down, and they put their window down. And I'm like, oh, I hope they're not big. Um, And... And it's this lady, actually, and um, I'm like, I know I didn't cut you off. What, what's going on? She goes, your lights aren't on. And I felt like dirt. Because when I said, I know I didn't cut you off. What's going on? It might not have been quite that nice. And I, and I just go, I was like, I wasn't. I had a day I didn't rest in him. Friends, if we could just acknowledge those warning signs in our life and just sit with God, I am telling you now, if you could do it, just listen, go back, watch it again, listen, let these words from Scripture soak into your heart, your life will change. Your life will change. Our God is faithful. Our God is worth trusting in. Listen to the warning signs so we can walk in step with him. Will you stand with me? I want to pray over you right now that you would know what this means for your own life. God, I pray for these friends that we would learn what it is to trust in you. In fact, go ahead and raise your hand with me. I pray that every single person in this place right now, God, would learn what it is to trust in you, to find rest in you, to acknowledge the warning signs in their life, that they would submit all things before the throne of God, that they would be encouraged of knowing that they can do this. They don't have to walk according to the ways of the world. They can walk according to the ways of truth, according to your promises, because you've never broken one. May we step into your fullness, step into your greatness. 
In Christ's name, amen.